What's up, it's Chase Young. What's up, this is Terry McLaurin. This is Carson Wentz, and you're listening to Washington Football Talk Podcast. Some tough sledding at Commander's Training Camp on Friday. These guys are getting tuned up for what should be a really cool practice at FedEx Field Saturday night. It's Washington Football Talk Podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, everybody? It's J.P. Finley. It's the Washington Football Talk podcast. We're brought to you by Oarsman Automotive of Virginia. We ride with them. want you to do the exact same thing. Oarsmanva.com, seven locations all over Northern Virginia. Those guys are killing it. Let them help you. They got cars. They're hard to find. They'll find exactly what you need, and they'll get you driving in it. Shout out to Will Biaggi getting married this weekend. Enjoy that, buddy. Uh, Mitch Tischler and Pete Haley are here. Gents, what's up? Congrats, Will Biaggi. Didn't realize that was this weekend. Big, 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 big news. Yes. I hope the Biaggis have a tremendous time celebrating. Something tells me that family will have a good weekend. They know how to throw a few back, if I know Bob as well as I think I do. Yeah, I think they'll enjoy themselves. It's uh, out in Colorado. They'll probably not roast hot like we are. Um, let's. Uh, we're finally going to play the epic, controversial J.J. Stankovic interview, uh, primarily about Carson Wentz. Um, J.J. works for the Colts. The Colts reporter was with the Bears prior to that. Um, uh, let's do a quick kind of ra- recap of practice, um, some tough work on the goal lines, some real hitting, some actual hitting to the ground, like tackling. Um, I, you know, it was a tough guy session. It was pretty cool. Uh, Mitch was on the radio with me when Doc Walker walked by the tent. He, Doc said, man, that, that's the kind of practice that gets my blood up. Doc really liked it. Um, I know you can say that the offense maybe didn't perform that well. I, I know that perhaps Antonio Gibson had two fumbles, but good to see contact like that. What would you guys think? Definitely intense down there on the goal line. So I think we saw eight 11 on 11 goal line snaps, four for Wentz, four for Heineke. Wentz in the offense, they were literally on the one yard line, went 0 for 4. A couple runs were stuffed. Jamin Davis had good coverage. I thought it was Jamin Davis's best practice really this summer. And then uh, they had the botched handoff there that Casey Tuhill recovered. And then Heineke came on, and there was some more good pass coverage. Christian Holmes was able to push Cam Sims out of bounds to prevent a fade touchdown. But eventually on fourth down, Jonathan Williams did score. But uh, one for eight on the one-yard line, not the percentage you're looking for. Defense was very fired up. Offense hanging their heads quite a bit. Pete, was the Cam Sims the back shoulder to the far side of the field? Yes, the refs were there, and they they did the whole he was pushed oh. out of bounds thing. So Cam and, like, Charles Leno were running around like, yeah, we broke through. But the refs had him out of bounds as soon as he came uh, to the ground. Gotcha, because I saw – yeah, I was watching that play, and I, I was – I made a mental note of that because that's what I do at these practices sometimes. And uh, that's exactly what Cam Sims' role would be or should be, is that the back shoulder or fade in the uh, at the goal line or in the red zone. And, and I thought that he made a great play on the ball to even come up with it. 
I thought he toe tapped the way that they were celebrating, but I guess the uh, the refs didn't quite happen. Yeah, it's funny. We had a weird Cam Sims debate on radio if he could actually emerge as a red zone threat. And uh, he's got five touchdowns in his career. What would you set an over under of Cam Sims touchdowns this season at? I would 1. set it. Yeah, one and a half. Listen, Cole Turner seemed to to hurt a, a hamstring or, or lower leg. And it looked like before. a knee. I know they said hamstring, but I guess they were stretching him after. Yeah, it looked like a hamstring. Um, and he had to walk off practice. It happened pretty early on. I, I don't think it's anything major per se. Uh, it didn't didn't seem to be. Uh, there was no like noticeable limp as he was going off. They kind of stretched him out and he walked off on his own. So it might've just been, been grabbing at him a little bit, but the point of bringing that up is I think that Cole Turner is the big body that they're going to be looking for in the end zone over a guy like Cam Sims. Not that there's not room for two big bodies in the end zone, but between Carson Wentz's love for tight ends and obviously folks who listen to the podcast know we've been talking about it for a while. I think he's going to be the bit, the, the big body target that they're looking for in the end zone. So I would set the over-under at one and a half, and if it gets to over, I don't know that it gets a whole lot higher than two. With Cole I, Turner hurt, there's now – I mean, again, I'm with Mitch. I don't think it's anything too serious, but it's a hamstring. So, say he's out a couple of days. You have no Logan, no Bates, and no Cole Turner. That's your top three tight ends. Luckily, the guys down the depth chart, and I'm not talking Sam Reyes. I'm talking Armani Rogers and Curtis Hodges, very similar last names, both really big in that Turner mold. They look like they could certainly play – and, uh, you know, maybe they don't make this team, but they can make a team somewhere else. They seem to be pretty potent, pretty intriguing as receiving targets. So, um, you know, this, this well, they're going to play a lot is, Saturday night. Oh, they're going to play well, a lot Saturday are. night. And they could also play a lot next Saturday against the Panthers. They're going to have a chance to prove themselves as the other players heal up. Pete, but, dude, you... what's, our, what's our alarm bells on John Bates? Like, dude hasn't practiced in a week. I think yeah. it's got to be nerve-wracking. Especially because they keep, I mean, listen, this whole team is, has an abundance of abundance of caution on them, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah my would, nerves aren't being racked, but... Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over John Bates at this stage, but yeah, it is... If you, ever, if you ever make to that point in your life, JP, please talk to me and Mitch offline and we can <laughs> yeah. walk you off that way. Mitch just but, said um, it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch isn't losing sleep Curtis either. Hodges. Did you see the Curtis Hodge, Hodges block? on uh, Jeremy Reeves, the last play of 11 on 11 that they ran. No, it so describe a, it to me, please. It was a uh, it was a reverse to one of the receivers um, around the far side of the field. And Kurt, Curtis Hodges got locked up with, uh, with Jeremy Reeves, drove him all the way to the sideline, and then buried him right when they got to the, to the, end, to the end line on the field. And I, I turned to uh, whoever I was standing next to. I thought that was going to be the first fight at camp. I mean, it was oh, a, yeah. it was a pretty you know vicious through the you know through the whistle type block, and usually the type of block that you know causes a little bit of a, a fracas. But uh, Rivera blew the whistle immediately after that. That was the last play that they ran on eleven on eleven. But Hodges really I, like I don't know that any of the tight ends outside of John Bates are are good blockers per se. But man, Curtis Hodges Curtis Hodges buried the hell out of. Uh, out of uh, Jeremy Reeves, which was, you know, which was pretty cool to see. Speaking of guys on the alarm scale, um, 
Mitch, one of my buddies, texted me, Trey Walker retired, undrafted linebacker, and he wanted to know, do you get credit since a Trey retired, but it's not Trey Turner who has not practiced in days either? So what do you think, JP? Does Mitch get a half point there? No, but his Trey Turner retiring chip still exists because that dude yeah. isn't doing anything. So, but no, he doesn't get a point for that. All right, I asked. I'll take partial credit. You don't get partial credit. Yeah, JP's different. giving you no credit. But I, I think Pete, you were. Like, I'm saying, I think, I think with each with each passing day, Mitch's one chip on Trey Turner retiring looks better. Like he bought he, Bitcoin in in 2010. We'll see what happens with it, but oh, it's at least interesting. Early adopter for sure. Yeah. Uh, you want to do one thing and then just get to the interview? Yes, I do. Um. Mitch, do you have a one thing off the top of your head? My notebook's in the other room, and I don't feel like getting it, so I'm going to try to think of one. Yeah, I think I we one. saw the good and the bad of Antonio Gibson today. I think a little bit the demise of Antonio Gibson was has been overstated at, since the start of camp. I think folks have gotten uh, a little excited about Brian Robinson, and while he certainly is going to be able to help between the tackles, I think he's struggled a little bit in pass pro, certainly in the one-on-one uh battles with the linebackers, but also uh, in catching the ball in the flats. And we saw the good in Antonio Gibson in that he took, when they were uh, running red zone, not at the goal line, but from red zone, he took a little, uh, he took a little wheel pat, wheel route from Carson Wentz and took it into the end zone, beat Cam Curl to the corner mm-hmm. over there to, to get in. And then that's the good side of it. And then the downside of it was at the goal line, they tried a, would you call it an RPO? I don't know. Option type play, and I think Carson may have left it in there too long. Antonio Gibson didn't quite grip it. Either way, the handoff got a little muffed. The ball popped right up in the air, and Casey Tuhill caught it. And I don't know that Tuhill would have taken it for six the other way because it would have been 99 yards. But he had a pretty good jump on everybody breaking out the other direction and had a convoy of other defensive players, you know, doing the thing that all defensive players do after a turnover and waving their arms and running as fast as they can. And all that stuff. So it was uh, it, it was an up and down day, but that was my one thing. Antonio Gibson, good. Antonio Gibson, bad. I have come up with my one thing, and this is dedicated to my dear friend, Mitch Tischler. I noticed uh, a John Matsko. He was, you know, at the beginning of practice, when they're working on some install or some slow running plays, they have other offensive linemen act as linebackers and corners. And one of the backup linemen was late to get to his linebacker spot and John Matsko ripped him into a million pieces for being late. And it seemed harsh, but it's also why Matsko is so good. He tasks his players with always being on, always being prepared, always being in the right spot. And even if you're just being a ghost linebacker, if you don't show up on time, he's going to destroy you and it's not acceptable. So uh, just to hint at what makes John Matsko such a special assistant coach like that uh, this podcast and it, full, full disclosure i'm in the car i'm headed to bwi i'm going up to boston for a wedding this weekend shout out to ben Zanay. um I, I feel like this podcast must be what it's like working with me because i keep trying to speak up and you both just speak over me and it's <laughs> it's a little eye-opening i'm gonna be honest um but for duran Payne, well actually one jp thing. one thing real quick just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get it um, Boy, but, Pete, uh, what about? 
You guys are enjoying this bit. I like it. Um, yeah. Drop Payne is, I think, playing for a contract, but just looks fantastic. And we've seen Payne be really good before, but maybe not really good week to week to week. I also think a guy like Federian Mathis allows freeze Payne up a little bit because there's a lot of situations where Payne was just kind of expected to take on double teams, and now Mathis can do that. Um, I like. I like the I like when that five man front rolls out there and hell two hills giving him decent reps now you, you like to think eventually that is Chase Young and not two hill but um I really like that look with Mathis Payne Allen Sweat and you know two hill or whoever that ends up being but um Payne's been standing out I believe that's a good one yeah um. I think we're ready for Stankovitz. It doubles as a Carson Wentz preview, but also a Colts overall preview. We filmed this maybe like two years ago, but hopefully it still holds up. And uh, JP, have a, trim, have, a, have a really nice, fun time up there in Baston. Will do. You guys uh, will handle the pod tomorrow. I'll listen yep. to it. Sorry to miss the folks at the practice, but I'll see you next week for the preseason opener. Here comes JJ. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Time to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. We've already talked about one of Carson Wentz's old team. Now we'll talk about his more recent ex-lover. Uh, to go to Indy, we go to our friend JJ Stankovitz, a writer for Colts.com. Uh, JJ, what's up, man? How's how's life in Indy? It's great down here. Looking forward to training camp starting in a couple of weeks. Um, for another year, we got a new quarterback, as you obviously know, in Washington. And uh, interested to see how Frank Wright can kind of morph his offense to Matt Ryan after doing it for Carson once last year. Um, real quick, do you, where do the Colts do camp? Is it just at the facility or do they travel or what? It's up in Westfield, which is about a 30-minute drive from the facility. Um, it's kind of northern suburbs of Indianapolis, so real convenient. Uh, not as far away as Richmond, for sure. Um, and there's a Portillo's up by Westfield, which I don't know why anyone from you know Chicago might be listening to this podcast, but Portillo's is outstanding and i'm gonna eat it like 17 times that, for the 17 practices we have the italian beef joint oh yeah you know yeah. it it those is are, spectacular those are thank you, must visit in Chicago. thank you mitch yep does that mean no marriott points though for training camp no no marriott points and since i'm now the the team writer traveling with the team no airline miles no marriott points oh that's true. um the trade-off on that is it's so much better to travel with the team <laughs> that I'm willing to sacrifice a couple hundred thousand Marriott points. Dude, I, I mean, we have a Christmas Eve game in San Francisco. You know how much easier that would be to travel home with the team than get on a red eye to beat Santa Claus to my kids the next morning? I did. A, I actually did a Christmas Eve game in San Francisco when I was on the Bears beat a couple years ago. And that was a that was a midnight flight back from SFO to Chicago where fortunately Rich Campbell from the Chicago Tribune, who you guys know from his days in DC was sitting behind me. And I was like, Hey dude, can I recline my seat? Like, cause I always feel, you always feel like a jerk if you recline your seat and you don't know the person sitting behind you, cause they might be trying to work or something. Um, so I lucked out on that, but yeah, it's a brutal, that's a brutal flight. 
my seat recline rule is two hours and less. I, I will I will stay erect, but after that, I'm reclining. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Anything more than that, call a doctor. Yeah, uh, no, but I, uh, a red eye you can you can recline. You got red eye, hundred percent. You can recline. I've done a midnight flight out of Chicago for a Skins Bears game on on Christmas Eve. Remember that big man? I think you stayed oh, yep. the night, and I had to get home. I stayed that night. I flew out in the morning because. You were crazy to, to 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 hike over to get that, but yeah, but I had Christmas with kids, like right. Oh, I know. Um, all right. Let's, you let's, also had Christmas with Matt Barkley, if I recall correctly. I think uh, Will Blackman had Christmas with Matt Barkley. Yeah, <laughs> gifts all over the place. Josh Norman, Will Blackman. Yeah, they were all appreciative. Yeah, let's remember days. some guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the skins bring out the the best in the Bears quarterbacks. You remember when? Oh. Did Cutler throw five to D Hall or something? Four. Cutler yeah. threw four yeah, to yeah, D Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, 2019, Mitch Trubisky went in there and won that game pretty handily. Uh, three touchdowns, I believe, in the second quarter. Two to Taylor Gabriel. Yep. Yeah. yeah Josh Norman was getting toasted. Case Keenum had a quarterback sneak where he held the ball yep. over the pile and somebody knocked it out, and yep. then he just had no idea why he did that. It was a it was a classic, probably being played on NFL Network as we saw. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> um. All right, let's talk Colts. Uh, we'll get to Wentz eventually and your take on Wentz, but let's talk about Indy now. Matt Ryan, a full offseason. Um, why do the Colts think they're better now? So what Matt Ryan brings, and I've heard this from a lot of folks, is it's very, it's similar to when Phillip Rivers came in in 2020 where you have this this veteran who's played a decade and a half in the league who knows how to operate an offense the way that Frank Reich sees it. What Frank is so good at is scheming guys open based on the coverage. So it's not like, you know, okay, here's this play, and on this play, I'll tell you what, Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be open. It's if we run this play and they run a cover two or, you know, they, they run this coverage quarters, whatever it is. And you go through your progressions by the time you get maybe to the backside dig, that guy's going to be open. Or if we, you know, run a sale concept, you know, this guy's going to be open based on the coverage and what Matt Ryan can do that, you know, is something you, you obviously want your quarterback to do, but not every quarterback can do this is legitimately go through those progressions and find the open guy. It's something like, and these are two different quarterbacks, but Matthew Stafford last year, when he went to, to the Rams, something he was so good at was hitting that backside dig, right? And that's usually like your third, fourth guy in the progression. That's something the Colts see Matt Ryan is being able to do in this offense where, all right, you know, they cover it this way. Hey, the backside dig's going to be open, but you got to get there. That's something that Matt Ryan can do. The other, the other thing with Matt Ryan is because he's so accurate he can help the yak numbers on this team, which were shockingly low last year in 2019. You go back to that year too. Um, you know, and, and that, that is something where Matt Ryan is a more accurate quarterback than Carson Wentz. So that leads to more opportunities for catch and runs. A guy like Naheem Hines is, is someone who has been talked up a lot over the last couple of months here in Indianapolis. And he's a guy who's a big yak guy. And Matt Ryan, I think, can have a, a really positive impact on what Naheem Hines can do in this offense. But, you you know, you hear things like breath of fresh air and professionalism. And these aren't knocks on Carson Wentz. These are all compliments to the kind of personality 
and the the sort of leadership and just the the demeanor that Matt Ryan brings to the Colts building. Jonathan Taylor was one of the best, maybe the best running back in football. He touched the ball 350 plus times last year. Is there any reason to think that there's that, that that's going to slow down at all between both him and the run game and pass game? No. Um, here's the thing with JT that that is so impressive. And, and we had a couple conversations with T.Y. Hilton about this last year um, where what JT is so good at from Monday to Saturday is getting in the training room. And it's what Jonathan Taylor calls prehab, where you're not hurt, but you are taking care of your body. You're getting, you know, massages and treatment, even though, again, you're not hurt. And that's something T.Y. was like, you know, for him to be in his second year in the league, he's still a young player. He's, he's 22, 23. For him to have that kind of maturity to, to know, you know, feel like, hey, my body is not invincible is really special for a player, again, of that age. Knowing that about what Jonathan Taylor can do, you don't see that that running back decline happening for him the, this season or, you know, really in, in any time in the near future because he takes such good care of his body. And something that that Frank Reich did last year with Jonathan Taylor, early in the season, he was not riding him 25 carries a game. It was in the, you know, 14 to 18 range really through about week seven or eight and at that point that's when you really saw taylor start to take off become that guy who is getting you know the the mvp discourse around his name um with some of the games he was having where he was getting it 25 30 times because he could do that he could handle the workload i wonder if you might see something similar with frank reich where i've actually kind of been thinking about the washington game as the game where like, all right, if, if you're starting to, you know, kind of take it a little bit slow, find your identity as an offense, that might be the game middle of the season, week eight, where Jonathan Taylor, maybe that's a game where he has his first 30 carry game where oh, you good. don't want to hit that. Sorry to your listeners. Um, but you don't want to hit that. You don't want to peak too early in the season with that. You want to, you know, make sure that he is as fresh as possible and then kind of start to ride him. The other thing is part of the identity of this offense, the Colts do want to be able to pass it more. They do want to be able to pass it more efficiently. So that could be something that maybe by week eight, the Colts have found that identity as an offense as well with Matt Ryan, that they maybe don't need Jonathan Taylor to run it 30 times. But if they do, hey, there are a lot worse running backs in the NFL who you could hand it off to 30 times than Jonathan Taylor. And by a lot worse running backs, I mean all of them. In that game against Indy, the commander's D-line it's probably lost some of its its – national respect but it's still it's a talented group and john allen's uh a main reason why i can't believe i'm asking this question because mitch is always the o-line focused person but quentin nelson's on the other side what makes him so damn dominant and how long can he keep this up because i know he hit the ground running as a rookie and has been at the top of the nfl basically uh since then and how in 2035 will we still be doing this i don't see why not i mean there are there are so few players in the interior of the offensive line who play with the, the level of technique that Q plays with, with the level of just being mean as, as he plays with too. Like that combination, you, you might get guys who are really technique oriented, who maybe don't have as physical of a streak or guys who are just super mean, who maybe aren't as good with their technique. And Q marries those two right at the top of the NFL. And I mean, he is, like, there is a play against Houston last year where the Colts ran an end-around 
to Michael Pittman Jr., where Q was, he was pulling on it, and he was downhill on that play, clocked as the fastest offensive lineman on a, a pulling play in the NFL by NFL Next Gen Stats. He was running like 15, 16 miles an hour. And this is like 330-pound Quentin Nelson coming at these defensive backs who are just like, what do you do? You make a business decision at that point. Like, I'm not getting run over by this guy. But he the the work ethic that he has, and again, that that dedication to his technique and his his that mean streak. Uh, you know, Q last year was a little bit banged up. He went on IR for the first time in his career, missed games for the first time in his career. He seems to have those issues behind him in talking to him during minicamp said he feels fresher. He he feels like the back, the knee, the ankle, those issues that did kind of plague him last year are behind him. And I mean, we've seen what a fully healthy Quentin Nelson can be at the NFL level. And it is a dominant force. Three-time first team all pro last year. He was second team, um, a, a guy who you can count on to be in the pro bowl every single year and kind of the heart and soul of that offensive line in a way, again, that guards aren't usually that guy, but Quentin Nelson is one of those guys. Circling back to Matt Ryan, is, is there any concern, and you've watched him now through OTAs and minicamp and stuff, like, do you think his whole game is there? I mean, he's 37. Is there any concern that he's lost a step or, or lost some velo on the arm or anything? Not really. I mean, watching watching him zip some stuff in during minicamp into some tight windows, um, yeah, you know, seven on seven, you know, with pads on, but you could just see the zip on those balls is still there. The thing with Matt Ryan, and I've had some conversations with some folks in the building about this, and uh, Ted Wynn from The Athletic actually just broke it down uh, in a post in late June, where M- what Matt Ryan still is good at is he's he's got these subtle movements in the pocket, and his drops are very, they're, they're always tight. They're not loose. He, he doesn't, you know, on a seven, this is something that Ted Wynn wrote about, which is really good, on a seven-step drop, he is 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, not an inch more than that. That really helps out your tackles yeah. because you can route guys upfield a lot easier if you know, hey, Matt's going to, when he takes this drop, he is not going to be beyond this line. That's really helpful. And then those subtle movements in the pocket, you know, you hate to you know compare anyone to Tom Brady because Tom Brady is one of one. But when I was w- researching Brady last year before the Colts played the Buccaneers, I was, I was like, man, like Tom Brady still moves really well in the pocket. It's those subtle shifts, knowing where pressure is coming from and how to get away from it. And I remember talking to DeForest Buckner about it. And something Buck said is like, yeah, like we got to keep him in that coffin in the pocket. And I was like, that's something you've said about Lamar Jackson, you know, the, the mobile quarterbacks, Kyler Murray that the Colts faced last year. And he was like, that's who Tom Brady is. He's not going to take off and run, but if you don't, have a, a, you know, if you don't kind of muddy the pocket and keep him in an area where you can get to him, you're not going to get to him. And Matt Ryan is similar in that sense that his footwork is so good. It's so clean in the pocket that you can have that great interior rush from a guy like, you know, Jonathan Allen, but Matt Ryan can kind of sidestep it a little bit, or you get a free rusher. Ryan knows where that pressure is coming from before the snap and can diagnose it, find the hot route, get the ball out, even if he's taking a hit and still make an accurate, strong throw. Before we get to asking more about Wentz, just because he's a local guy to us, he's grew up right outside of Ashburn, played basketball at VCU, Molly Cox. Yeah. Has he kind of solidified himself as kind of tight end one there now? Yeah, yeah. He's the elder statesman in that group with Jack Doyle retiring and 
and Mo got a contract extension. Uh, he was one of the first moves the Colts made this offseason in free agency was to bring back Mo Ali Cox. He's a guy who I think there's still some upside in him in terms of him being a receiver. But what Mo has developed into is a really good blocking tight end. And if you look at Pro Football Focus's run blocking grades among tight ends last year, Mo Ali Cox and Jack Doyle were two of six regular tight ends to have a run blocking grade over 70 last year. That's pretty good, you know, for, for a tight end. And it's something that allowed the Colts offense to be so run oriented when they could go with heavy 12 personnel. And he got Mo Ali Cox and Jack Doyle snatching bodies on the outside. It was really, really impressive. But Mo, Mo is a lot of upside as a red zone weapon. There are some plays last year where Carson, he just threw it up to Mo in the end zone and Mo went up and got it. I think that that's an area of his game that can still grow. He set a career high with four touchdowns last year. I think you might see his catches and targets go up a little bit. But the Colts also have a couple young tight ends. They really like Jelani Woods, the third round pick out of Virginia. Super athletic, can get vertical from that wide tight end spot in the, as the inline guy in this offense. Kylan Granson, last year's fourth round pick, kind of that flexed out move tight end. Uh, they're, they're, the Colts do see some upside with him there as well. But hey, if we're talking about local guys, Dematha Catholic in Maryland, you, you all know that? Yeah. yeah. Sure. No, well, exactly. well. Two safeties on the Colts roster went there about 10 years apart in Rodney McLeod, former Eagles safety, and Nick Cross, the third rounder out of Maryland. Terps. You're talking yeah. to three Terps. Uh, so you guys are all big Nick Cross fans, right? Yeah. yeah. We have him on the pod. Did we have him on the pod or do I have him on the radio? But we radio and then uh, Jordan did an NBC interview with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really nice kid. That's great. Looking forward to watching him maybe uh, pick off Carson Wentz in week eight. (laughs) All right, fine. You brought it up. Let's do it. Um, The way you're talking, it seems like the Colts should be a really good team this fall. And the biggest difference outside of a draft class and you you, free agency, you, you get some back, you lose some. And isn't Darius Leonard injured? I wanted to ask about that. But Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick on Darius. He had a procedure on his back, um, which the Colts believe. Never like the back. You don't, you, you don't, but this is one where they kind of got out in front of it, and there there were some issues with his back that might have been radiating down to his ankle. He's He dealt with ankle issues all through last year. Like when we would ask him about it, he would just be like, well, it's attached. And then he went out and had eight forced fumbles and four interceptions, something that no player has done in NFL history, not the great Charles Peanut Tillman. Darius Leonard did that. Over 100 tackles, first-team All-Pro, like, and he did that on one ankle. So I, I can't say I'm like super worried about Darius Leonard uh, coming back from this back issue. Anyways, that's an aside. Keep going on your question. All good. Of all these like really young, talented linebackers, Leonard has been my favorite for a while. But um... – so it, it sounds like it's all champagne and caviar for the Colts now, basically because Wentz is gone. Um, let, just tell me on the field last year, the numbers would suggest he wasn't he wasn't bad and he was arguably good. Did the I, I watched some, not all. You watched all. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, I think that's that's fair, that Carson Wentz was not a bad quarterback last year. I mean, there, there's no measure that would tell you Carson Wentz was a bad quarterback. There were some games where he was a pretty good quarterback. But the, the one that kind of sticks out to me as you're looking at Carson Wentz's season was week 15, Colts host the Patriots. 
it's it's the, probably the biggest game Lucas Oil Stadium has seen in several years. And in that game, Colts win at 27-17. Jonathan Taylor rips off a 68-yard run right around the two-minute warning to seal it. Incredible moment. We're thinking, oh, we're going to the playoffs. But underneath that, Carson Wentz had his worst game of the year. Uh, five of 12 for 57 yards with one touchdown and one interception that was he was rolling to his right and he threw across his body into triple coverage, got picked off. And that kind of let the Patriots back into the game. Um, what, what I think Matt Ryan gives the Colts is a little bit more predictability and maybe some of the big plays, the highest of highs of Carson Wentz last year were really damn high. And you could sit there and say, man, like this guy, you can see it. This guy can go win you a Super Bowl. And then you had that game like against the Patriots or to finish the season against the Jaguars where the the wheels kind of, they kind of came off. And even in games that the Colts won, you know, you are sort of like that, again, that Patriots game, just uh, that really stuck with me that if Carson doesn't throw that interception, the Colts probably win that game 30 to nothing. I mean, it, it would have been a route and it let the Patriots back in the game. They got some momentum and the Patriots almost won that game. It took Jonathan Taylor having a heroic run again at the end to win it. Um, and I, I thought Frank Reich did a really good job last year with Carson. Um, you know, he he didn't turn the ball over a ton. You know, only seven interceptions. He had a couple of fumbles in there. Um, but it, it was not like there were games where it was just like, you know, five interceptions and just awful. But at the end of the day, the Colts missed the playoffs. They had two chances to make the playoffs. And they lost both of those games. And, you know, one was against the Raiders who wound up making the playoffs. And then the one, the other one was to the Jaguars who, you know, when we had a chance to sit down with Jim Ursay back at the owners meetings, he, he, you could tell how much that game still just like really like stuck with him in a way that, I mean, it should stick with everyone here in Indianapolis where Carson in that game, you know, the, the team came out flat. Carson was 17 to 29 for 185. He didn't throw a touchdown until late in that game. Um, got sacked six times. That was a season high. And when that happens, change is going to have to be inevitable for this team. And you you can't just sit here and say, well, we went, you know, Carson had 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, had like a pretty good season, and we just got to run it back. When that, when the way the Colts season ended, you got it. The change is going to happen. And that's why even, you know, in talking to Chris Ballard about it, he was somewhat hesitant to say that even if the Colts made the playoffs, they would have brought Carson Wentz back. Um, This was always going to be a, we're going to take a hard evaluation of the team at the end of the season and see, do we believe that Carson Wentz is the long-term answer for us at quarterback? The Colts came to the determination that they needed to make a change there and wound up getting Matt Ryan, a guy who, when that trade was made and agreed to with Washington, no one really knew Matt Ryan was going to be available. But again, it's it's that what Matt Ryan now brings is that kind of that, that consistency and that sort of you know what you're going to get every week, as opposed to the the extreme heights that Carson will give you. But some of those games, again, like that Patriots game where it's 
the the production's just not there. Yeah, what's it's funny the Ryan thing because two years ago when the I don't know what they were called then, but when Washington went and got Fitz, I was calling my shot then that they're going to end up with Matt Ryan. And and the conventional wisdom was Atlanta won't let him go. The contract dictates he won't go. I was like, he's going to get let go. That thing's going to be a total rebuild. And I really thought that. And then, you know, they get Carson, and then sure enough, Ryan becomes available. I think if you gave true serum to the commanders, which they'll never admit now, if they thought they could have gotten Ryan, they would have gone after that over ahead of Carson. I believe that 100%. Um, and I think Atlanta – in hindsight, that Watson picked Cleveland kind of screwed themselves, but whatever. Um, last one. You, you made a point, and I pulled up the stats, and it's really interesting. About halfway through the season, they started giving uh, Jonathan Taylor a, a lot more carries. I, it's funny. I wrote down more JT. I was about to say Justin Thomas. They gave Jonathan Taylor a lot more carries. Was that a result of seeing how well he was playing, how well they were blocking because if you look at some advanced metrics, their run blocking was through the roof. Their pass blocking was middle of the pack or worse. Did they want Jonathan Taylor to get more opportunities or was Reich like, I got to dial it back on Carson? That's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer to it, but you can infer some stuff, um, certainly from the statistics and from you know, how first, what is it, the first nine games of the year, Carson Wentz had – Six of those, he had a passer rating over 100. Over the final uh, eight games, Carson only had two games with a passer rating over 100. And in those games, you know, you you had – and this is, again, like passer rating is imperfect because against Tampa, in a game the Colts lost, Carson threw it 44 times for 306 yards, three touchdowns. Those two interceptions, one was at the end of the game where he was just throwing it into the end zone. The other one was an incredible play by Antoine Winfield Jr. Like that – that game against Tampa was one of Carson's best games of the year, uh, which came in week 12. So it's not necessarily that things took a huge nosedive in the second half of the season, but I think what, what the Colts realized is that the identity of this offense can be with Jonathan Taylor. What they realized then at the end of the year is that in today's NFL, having an identity that's based that heavily on a running back is a really difficult way to win. Because in that Jacksonville game, you know, the Jaguars just said, like, we're not letting Jonathan Taylor beat us. They were putting like eight, nine guys in the box on what felt like every single play. And they said, all right, we'll see if the Colts can beat us through the air. And the Colts could not. So I think there's probably something to that shift. But again, I don't want to make it seem like Carson, like, you know, it's not black and white here. There's always a lot of gray area that Carson did have some good games in the second half of the season. That game on Christmas in Arizona was a really good game, really good win for the Colts and a very positive game for Carson Wentz. Um, again, I, I think like with Carson, you see if you can if you can harness those heights of him, you're going to get a really good quarterback. The, the issue then is how do you minimize the lows? And I thought Frank Reich, for the most part last year, did a really good job of kind of minimizing the valleys and bringing the, the valleys up. That's going to be the challenge for Washington, I think, is making sure that, you know, not every quarterback is going to have a passer rating over 100. You know, it's like a like a pitcher in baseball coming out of the bullpen being like, I don't really have my good stuff today. You got to kind of grind through a start. You give up three, four runs over six innings, but you don't get rocked. Like, that's what Frank Reich did a good job of with Carson Wentz. That's what the challenge is for probably Washington this year 
is don't let Carson Wentz get Wentz get rocked out there. Make sure that 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 floor when he doesn't have his good stuff is still something where you can go win a game. We shall see, dude. I can't wait to get out to Indy. I think we're gonna have a podcast party in Indy that Saturday night. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I love that city, and uh, maybe we can catch up for a beer. I mean, well, I'll see you at High Velocity, right? Sure, always. Yeah, High yeah. Velocity, St. Elmo's. We'll we'll do it up. I'll uh, I'll be happy to see you guys. All right, man. Appreciate the time, JJ. Thanks very much, dude. All right, later, guys. I feel like this podcast must be what it's like working with me because I keep trying to speak up and you both just speak over me.